Hi, friend. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. And it is my sincere hope you'll hear something that will encourage, edify, equip, and then get you out into the marketplace of ideas. But before you listen, I'm going to tell you about this month's Truth Tool. My Truth Tool is offered to anyone who gives a financial gift to In the Market with Janet Parshall. And this month, I've chosen the book, Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Ever been there? Of course you have. We all have been. Sometimes we think we're walking in circles, and we're wondering whether or not God has left us, we've walked away from Him, what in the world we're doing if we're even in the center of His will. So this book is designed to help you find peace and confidence in your current challenge. And all of us have challenges. It also will make sense of most of the lessons you're learning right now. And the most important part of this and why I felt this would be appropriate is because it will help clarify in your mind the unique mission and message that God has given to you. So the book is called Connecting the Dots. It's yours for a gift of any amount. And all you have to do is call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. And give a gift of any amount, and we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. If you prefer to do it online, that's easy as well. In the market with JanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Click on through, make your gift, and again, we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. Just below the picture of the book is a description of what it means to be a partial partner. Those are people who give every month a gift of their own choosing. They set the level of giving. I don't. But they'll always get the truth tool. And in addition to that, a weekly newsletter that goes out as well. So consider being a partial partner or getting a copy of Connecting the Dots by calling 877-JANET-58 or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now please enjoy the program. Friends, this is Janet Parshall. Thanks so much for choosing to spend the next hour with us. Today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines are not open. But thanks so much for being with us, and enjoy the broadcast. Here are some of the news headlines we're watching. By the time the conference was over, the president won a pledge. So Americans worshiping government over God. An extremely next... rare safety move by a major... 17 years of Palestinians and Israelis How do I think the world is going to end? With a clash and a trumpet blast. Yes, with a shout from the Lord, and he will, (laughs) and when he comes. By fire. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I think a meteor shower. I think some big asteroid is just going to hurl towards the earth and just blow up everything. In peace, with uh, our Lord coming back, Jesus will come back to save us. Well, I'm hoping that it doesn't end soon, but most likely with wars, you know, because it's already rumors of wars, but probably after one place after the other, the food shortages. I don't know. I have no idea. It don't. That's a confusing question. Destruction. People killing people. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, we're going to destroy our atmosphere and we're just going to, like, overpopulate the world, so we're all going to sort of die off and it'll just be... A- a bang, so if everything will go. So, well, there's a reason to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> 
Hello, friends. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. Well, if you're stuck in rush hour traffic, I can pretty much guarantee you're going to have a better ride home because now you're going to spend the hour with us. We are going to talk about the end times. The entire world is fascinated with this topic. How do I know? Your Honor, I give you as evidence a Hollywood. How many movies are about the dystopian future, the world when it ends, and then the sky is falling, the climate is going to fall on our heads, and it's all going to be gloom and doom and awful. And yet... For the believer, it should be a 180-degree different perspective. We await his glorious return. To quote C.S. Lewis, we are living now but in the shadowlands, and the best is yet to come. I cannot wait for the future. I not only not dread it, I will be so glad to get out of this foggy state and into the reality of being in the presence of the Savior of my soul. It doesn't get any better than that. But I'm also a lover of history. History in the past, but history that's going to be made going forward. And this is one of those fascinating conversations. When you talk about the end times, oh, you get 10 people in a room, you get 10 different opinions. And then you'll also get people whose eyes glaze over. And then you'll get pastors, love you shepherds, who will sidestep this one because it's just not relevant for the days and times in which we live. And after all, it's too complex and it's all allegorical. What difference does it make? Well, I could spend an hour with my guest on just that alone, but just suffice it to say that we're going to linger in the scriptures because those are the love letters that you and I were given, written by the unconditional lover of our soul. And did you know that Jesus had an awful lot to say about the end times? So we're going to take a look at what Jesus said about the end times and what the future holds. And we're also going to open the phone lines because I know you have questions. And when I tell you who my guest is, you're going to want to get on the line real quick. Dr. Ron Rhodes is going to spend the hour with us. President of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry, a fabulous apologetics ministry. He has written dozens and dozens and dozens, I got to get my math right, and dozens and dozens of books. He speaks at conferences all over the country. He speaks at seminaries as well. And I just appreciate him. He has a big brain with lots of initials after his last name, but he has that gift, and it's a rare commodity to be able to take issues that are by their very nature complex and deep and profound and makes them into bite-sized pieces so that we are the better for it. He is an excellent teacher and makes us a better student. So we're going to spend the hour with his latest book, Jesus and the End Times, What He Said and What the Future Holds. Our number, because you're going to need it, is 877-548-3675-877-548-3675. Oh, Ron, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that you're with us. I love this particular approach with Jesus in the end times, which raises an interesting philosophical question out of the gate. So here's Jesus living until we guess around maybe 33 AD. That's not an absolute, but it's a pretty good approximation. And so he would be telling his followers about the future where they didn't have any of the knowledge that we have, any of the science that we have. And yet he would talk to them over and over and over again about his return. Why? Well, obviously, he thought that the return, his return, and the prophetic future were very critically important. And I might add to you that Jesus didn't just speak directly to his followers about Bible prophecy. It gets better than that. Not only did he deliver sermons which address prophecy, but we're told that the book of Revelation is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which means that everything that John wrote in Revelation is from Jesus Christ. We're also told in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 and 11, that it was the Spirit of Christ who spoke through the ancient biblical prophets. So everything they said came from Jesus. And what about Paul's prophecies? 
Scripture is very clear that uh, Jesus himself said that Paul will be my spokesman and he will deliver my message to the people. So that everything that Paul communicated about prophecy ultimately came from Christ. Do you see what I'm driving at here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the very heart of biblical prophecy. And I personally believe that this is one reason why the Gospel of John opens by telling us that Jesus is the one who gives light to every man coming into the world. Every man and woman coming into the world receives light and understanding from Jesus Christ, not just about the prophetic future, but about the way of salvation. So to me, this is just a very exciting topic. Yeah, and and you do such an excellent job of really conveying the information necessary for us to understand. So let me start, and I know I'm going to come up to a break, and Ron, I must tell you, we already have a bunch of people online. I know this is such a an important topic, and it resonates with so many of our listeners. But we can, I want to talk about timelines, and we can agree to disagree among brothers and sisters, but there are positions that would be described as pre-tribulation, mid-trib, post-trib, amillennial, uh, premillennial, etc. You and I happen to share the same worldview on this particular topic. In fact, you start out by talking about, interestingly, the rapture. Can you explain what that is and why you believe, and I know that you do this, in fact, there's the music, so let me ask you to explain on the other side. Let me just put the question out. Can you explain what it means to be pre-trib and what the rapture is, and most important of all, because this is about Jesus and what he had to say prophetically, what he says as well. So we're going to come back. Dr. Ron Rhodes is with us for the whole hour. In truth, can I tell you that if Ron would give me two hours of his time, we could do two hours back to back on this, because this is the kind of topic that just gets, it gets people thinking and it resonates. So 877-548-3675. That's our phone number. You're going to need it. The entire hour, we're going to talk about Jesus and the end times, what he said, and what the future holds. We're going to take your questions as well. We're just getting started. More after this. God's work in your life has prepared you with a unique message to share and a problem to solve. That truth is why I've chosen Connecting the Dots as this month's truth tool. God uses you to point to His goodness and to give you meaning and purpose. Ask for your copy of Connecting the Dots when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to InTheMarketWithJanetPartial.org. Dr. Ron Rhodes is our guest. He is president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries, a great apologetic ministry. And he's such a prolific author. It's just scores and scores and scores of books. And one of his more recent books is called Jesus and the End Times, What He Said and What the Future Holds. Now, I promise not to be selfish because I have so many people already online, but I did put this important question out regarding the timeline of which there can be respectful disputes among believers. But Ron and I share the same perspective, which is a pre-tribulation uh, dispensationalist worldview. I threw in another word that I didn't do before the break. But Ron, explain what we mean by the rapture and what we mean by being pre, having a tribulation. I won't use shorthand, a pre-tribulation position. Well, we all know that there's going to be a tribulation period, and that's going to last seven years prior to the second coming of Christ. And when we talk about a pre-trib rapture, we mean that the rapture happens before that seven-year tribulation period. And the rapture is that event in which Christ descends from heaven, and he raises the dead in Christ, and then the living Christians, could it be our generation? I don't know. 
but living Christians will be instantly translated into their glorified bodies, and both the dead in Christ and the living in Christ will meet Christ in the air, and then Christ will escort them back to heaven. Now, you and I believe that that's going to happen before the tribulation. There are some Christians who think it happens right in the middle of the tribulation period. Others say right at the end of the tribulation period. Why, there are even some who hold to what's called the partial rapture theory, which says basically that all throughout the tribulation period, uh, different Christians get raptured at different times as they become sanctified, as they Mm. become more holy. And so there are different viewpoints on this. And let me just say, Janet, I recognize that all these positions are trying to be biblical. You see, it's not fair to say that I hold the biblical position, whereas all my colleagues who disagree with me are unbiblical. Mm -hmm. All the positions are trying to be biblical. Uh, However, the viewpoint that is consistently literal Uh, The viewpoint that says that when the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest you end up in nonsense, those people generally end up as pre-tribs, the idea that the rapture will take place before the tribulation period. Mm -hmm. Now, did you know that Jesus taught about this, Janet? He talked about it in John 14. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust Mm -hmm. in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And notice that he's taking them back to heaven, Janet. Mm -hmm. He's not coming to rapture them and then coming back down to the earth, like a post-trib would say. Rather, he's coming to rapture them, and then after the rapture, he takes them back to the heavens where he prepared a place for us all to stay. And so this is one verse where we think that, you know, the the pre-tribulational viewpoint is supported. Uh, Having said all that, Janet, that's kind of like a little mini-sermon there, and I'm sorry about that. But (laughs) let's let's not use the word heretic against our (laughs) brothers and sisters who hold a different view. I have been called a heretic. (gasps) I know that some people in my camp have called the other positions, you know, heretical. This is not an issue of heresy. This is a disagreement in an agreeable way Mm -hmm. over certain doctrines. Now, if you deny the second coming, well, that's a major doctrine. Right. We'd have some problems there. But the timing of the rapture is one of those issues where we can agreeably disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent answer, Ron. Thank you so very much. Frank, this is very much in line with what we were just discussing. So welcome from Florida. Your question, please. Thank you. And I just have to chuckle as you were saying that. I, we've had some discussions in my own church, and we all said, you know, in the end, we don't want to be the two fleas on the dog arguing over who the dog belongs to when God decides to do it. You know, I don't think any of us will be on our way up during the rapture saying, see, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know some Christians case, that may just say that. <laughs> but you know but what? Um, what you I'm sorry, were you going to say something? Well, I was going to go, go ahead and move into my question, but go ahead. Okay. Sir. Frank, go ahead with so, your question. It's okay. So, so my one question is that really is completely off from, you know, we've all talked about the second coming and the rapture and so forth, but I've recently had some people really um, pushing the concept of preterism 
These are folks that believe that everything that is talked about in Revelation all happened and that Jesus actually came back in his generation um, around 70 A.D. And so I would love to have some of your thoughts on, I don't particularly believe that, and I've asked some tough questions to them, but I think you probably know this better than I do, and I'd love to hear some of your um, your thoughts on how to counter that. Well, sure, I'm happy to do that. Um, preterism is a viewpoint that has really caught on in recent days, and there's two different forms, moderate preterism and extreme preterism. And the extreme viewpoint says that even the second coming has already taken place. So that's a real mm. problematic viewpoint. The partial preterite view is the more popular view. And um, basically what they say is that the various prophecies in the book of Revelation, as well as in the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus gives a prophetic sermon in Matthew 24 and 25, those verses were fulfilled when the Romans overran Jerusalem and destroyed the Jewish temple. And as you look at some of the apocalyptic imagery in the book of Revelation, all the terminology of destruction and so forth, all those verses are applied to the destruction of Jerusalem. And so for that reason, we don't look forward to a future fulfillment of those verses in the book of Revelation. The contrary to that, I, as a more literal interpreter of the prophetic scriptures, believe that the book of Revelation is fairly chronological. I mean, when you look at it, I think the rapture probably takes place in Revelation 3.10. Then you've got the tribulation period in Revelation 4-18. through the second coming in Revelation 19, the millennial kingdom in chapter 20, and then you've got the eternal state, chapters 21 and 22. More on the other side. All right. Frank, thank you so much. There will be more to your answer when we get back. In the meantime, when you hear me say goodbye to someone, get online at 877-548-3675. Dr. Ron Rhodes is with us, and we're going to continue as we discuss what Jesus had to say about the future back after this. Dr. Ron Rhodes is with us, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry. Every line is lit. You've got lots of questions, as I knew you would, on the topic of the end times, particularly as we focus in on Dr. Rhodes' book, Jesus and the End Times, what he said and what the future holds. So we started out actually where his book starts out, which is this whole discussion about the rapture. So Frank from Florida called and said, okay, if I know someone who holds to what is called a preterist position, uh, how would I respond? So Ron, you were just taking off a litany of scriptures and you said more on the other side. We are at the other side. I'd like more, please. Okay, I'll I'll be quick on this. Let me just say that um, one of the primary problems I personally see with preterism is that Revelation claims to be prophecy. And there's just many prophetic events that were prophesied in Revelation that simply didn't occur. For example, a third of mankind was not killed, as predicted in Revelation 9.18. Nor has everything died that was in the sea taken place, as prophesied in Revelation 16, verse 3. And typically, preterists will have to spiritualize those kinds of verses to um, end up supporting their viewpoint. As well, the book of Revelation, I believe, was actually dated in the 90s. Uh, And if it was dated in the 90s, then it could hardly be prophesying something that happened back in A.D. 70. We know that Irenaeus, for example, believed that the book of Revelation was written in the 90s during the reign of Domitian. Um, One quick verse that they often cite is uh, Matthew 24, 34. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Does that refer to the first century? 
They believe so, but I don't think it does. You see, in Matthew 24, Jesus has just given a long litany of signs of the times that will take place in the last generation. And then Jesus says, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. In other words, the generation that sees all these prophetic signs taking place during the end times, that generation will not pass away until all these other things take place. So it's an interpretive difference, you know. Um, if you're a preterist, you know, I still love you in the Lord. And I suspect that we agree on a lot more than we disagree on. I suspect we agree on God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Trinity and sin and salvation and the gospel and the future judgment and heaven and a whole lot more. So we agree on much more than we disagree on. Mm. Thank you, Ron, for that answer. I very much appreciate it. 877-548-3675. Deborah, welcome from Pennsylvania. Your question, please. Hi, thank you for taking my call. My question mm-hmm. is, I've, I have been taught that when the rapture takes place, that the Holy Spirit is removed from the, the world. If that's the case, how are people drawn to be saved? And um, could you just clarify that, please, what happens with the Holy Spirit during the rapture? Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, That's a great question. In fact, we know that uh, at the rapture, the entire Church is going to be taken off the earth. And as you probably know, Christians, as well as the Church itself, is said to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. We see that in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 1 Corinthians 6.19. And so when the Church is raptured off the earth... Well, the Holy Spirit goes with it. Now, that does not mean that the Holy Spirit is inactive during the tribulation period, because no one can come to the Lord except through the work of the Holy Spirit on people's hearts. Now, there's going to be those who live on the earth who bear witness to the truth, and as people bear witness to the truth during the tribulation period, the Holy Spirit will draw certain of those individuals to the Lord, They become believers, and we know that there's going to be a great multitude of believers, according to Revelation 7. Who are the people that bear witness? Probably the 144,000 Jewish witnesses who are going to just proclaim the gospel all over planet Earth, according to Revelation 7 and 14, as well as the two mighty prophetic witnesses of Revelation 11, who have the same basic powers as Moses and Elijah. And so with those kind of witnesses... The Holy Spirit will bear witness to the truth of what they say, and the result is the great multitude of believers of which Revelation 7 speaks. So the the quick answer to your question is, is the Holy Spirit will still be on the earth working in terms of bringing people to salvation, but he will also have been removed from the earth, from the, you know, in the church, and therefore his restraining influence on evil is removed, thereby allowing the Antichrist to emerge into power. I hope that makes sense. Mm. And I thank you, Deborah, for being a part of the conversation. 877-548-3675. Ken, you're in Alabama. Thanks for stopping by. Your question, please. Uh, good afternoon, Janet, uh, Ron. Uh, my wife takes my mother-in-law to her church on Wednesday mornings for her Bible, midweek Bible study, and uh, an elder retired doctor uh, leads the study. And... Uh, I guess they were looking in Revelation because uh, all of a sudden he mentioned something about uh, all these years he believed that the, when the new heavens and the new earth was created, it was after the, the millennium. But uh, he came recently to believe that uh, this occurs between the tribulation and the millennium. Uh, 
I must have been living under a rock. I've never heard anybody uh, ever mention that. So I'll turn my uh, phone off and go back to my radio. Thanks, Ken. Glad you were here. Ron. Well, you know, that's a great question. And to tell you the truth, Janet, one of the things that people struggle with the most in terms of prophecy is chronology. Uh, honestly, we have our own language. It's, it's Christianese, and it's a certain form of Christianese <laughs> where we've got all these terms like pre-trib and post-trib and mid-trib, amil and post-mil and pre-mil, preterism. I mean, just, just the whole works. Mm-hmm. And so people get confused on the chronology and I'm beginning to hear some music pop up. I'm wondering if I should pick this up on the other side, Janet. I would love it. I would love it because that way you have all the time in the world to answer. So, Ken, if you don't mind, we'll take the rest of Ron's answer on the other side of the break. This is In the Market with Janet Parshall, and Dr. Ron Rhodes is with us. We're thrilled that he's here as we talk about Jesus and the end times. More after this. This is Janet Parshall, and I want to take a moment to remind you that today's program is pre-recorded, so our phone lines aren't open. But I sure do appreciate your spending the hour with us, and thanks so much, and enjoy the rest of the program. What does In the Market mean to you? Is it a trusted source for news, your go-to place for relevant discussions on current events? I'm glad to have you in our listening family, and I want to ask you to take a next step. Will you become a partial partner and help us continue here on your station? When you do, you'll get personal emails and information from me. Become a partial partner today by calling 877-JANET-58 or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Dr. Ron Rhodes is with us, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry. It's a fabulous apologetics ministry. If you missed any of this conversation, I got good news. Go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org, right-hand side, two words, past programs. Click it on, download the podcast, listen anytime you want, and you won't have missed a thing. And this is one of those conversations you don't want to miss. We are talking about what Jesus had to say about the future. So in the plethora of books that Dr. Rhodes has written, one of them is called Jesus and the End Times, What He Said and What the Future Holds. I got a boatload of questions online, but Ken from Alabama raised a really interesting point. I know he's still listening, Ken. There you are in Alabama. Ron, you were just starting. You astutely heard the music. I want to give you a chance now to give Ken the full answer to his question. So please go ahead. Well, I think chronologically, we need to watch for chronological clues in Revelation. And I mentioned earlier that Revelation 4 through 18 deals with the tribulation period, chapter 19, the second coming, chapter 20, primarily the millennium, and then chapters 21 and 22, the eternal state. Now, in chapter 20, we find the subjects of the millennial kingdom and the defeat of Satan and the judgment of the wicked dead all discussed. Now, I want you to notice how Revelation 21 begins. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Ah. Underline that word then. That is a chronological clue. It clues us in as to what's taking place next. And it makes good sense when you think about it, because God has just uh, told us all about the judgment of the wicked dead and the work of Satan. So just think about it. Satan has long carried out his evil schemes on the earth. And so now the earth must be purged of all stains resulting from his extended presence. And so the earth, along with the first and second heavens, 
that is to say the Earth's atmosphere and the stellar universe, must be renewed. The old must make room for the new, and the scriptures often speak of the passing of the old heavens and the old earth and replaced by the new heavens and the new earth. And that's what's taking place in Revelation 21 and 22. Janet, it's going to be awesome. You and I are going to have <laughs> resurrection bodies. We're going to live in a glorified city called the New Jerusalem, which will rest upon a resurrected earth in a resurrected universe. And all things will be perfect. Mm, wow. Thank you for that answer and that great anticipation. 877-548-3675. 877-548-3675. And Marlion, I hope I said that right, in Illinois, thank you for being with us. Your question, please. Uh, hi, Janet. This is Marlene uh, from Illinois. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I love mm-hmm. your show, Dr. You. Ron Rose, too. Um, I'm a, uh, my question is uh, Matthew seven twenty one to 23. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 21 to, uh, to 20, 7, 21 to 23, please. Thanks. Well, that's a good verse because there's a lot of people who say they are walking with the Lord, and in fact, they're not Christians at all. They're not true believers. And their claim is they're doing the external things that you might think would be true of a believer in God, but in fact, they never had an inner faith in Christ. Now, when you look at the context, one of the things that you discover is that Jesus is speaking with Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders were all about externalism, doing outward works. In fact, they codified the law into uh, into 618 commandments, and they believed that as long as you externally obeyed those external commandments, then you were right with God. And so these people, in in, uh, verse 21, where Jesus is talking to them, Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about doing this and doing that. Rather, only those who exercise true faith in me are saved. And so bottom line is, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ or have you not? If you have, the good news is that you are in the family of God, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. You are secure in that salvation. But if you think that what makes you saved is just doing a bunch of good stuff like some of the ancient Jewish leaders thought, you know, casting out demons and, you know, things of that nature, that's not what saves you. Now, that doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you doing good things, but those good things should follow your salvation. In other words, once you become a believer, you're motivated to do good things because of what the Lord has done for you. But doing good things cannot save you. Only faith in Christ can. Mm. Amen and amen. And if you don't hear anything else today, that's your takeaway from this conversation. 877-548-3675. Stephen, welcome from Indiana. Your question, please. Hi, well, thank you for uh, letting me on your show. And my question for Ron is concerning the uh, great and terrible day of the Lord, or the last day, or the great day. And from uh, as far as the timing and the length of that, and uh, from what I've seen in Scripture, it looks like this is a period of time that occurs after the tribulation is a year long, and the resurrection and the rapture occur 40 days into that. And I've got uh, all the I got the number of scriptures that that uh, show that. I, I know you're pre-trib, but um, looks like the, the scriptures point to this uh, pre. Uh, the wrath is in this one year of day of the Lord, and the 
tribulations the seven years before that. And I didn't know if you wanted me to share the scriptures or what, you, what your input on that was. <clears throat> well, let me, let me just address the issue overall, because I do know that post-tribs and pre-tribs disagree on this, uh, particularly as related to the interpretation of Second Thessalonians 2. And it's important to understand that when you look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are some slight variations in how they viewed it. The Old Testament prophets sometimes used the term day of the Lord of an event to be fulfilled in the distant future and at other times in the near future. When they used it of the distant future, it always referred to the future tribulation period. And it's only by consulting the context of the term that uh, you, you can discover which is intended. Now, in both cases, the reason why it's called the day of the Lord is that the Lord is actively intervening supernatural in order to bring about judgment against sin in the world. It's a day of the Lord in the sense that during that day, the Lord is active. So the day of the Lord is not referring to 24 hours. It's an extended time during which God actively controls and dominates history in a direct way instead of through secondary causes. Now, when you get to the New Testament writers, the term is generally used of the judgments that will climax in the end time seven-year tribulation period, as well as the judgment that ushers in the new earth in the end times. And that's the way that I take it. Uh, I'm fully uh, cognizant of the fact that there are post-tribs who take things slightly differently and will use it to argue in favor of post-tribulationism. I understand that. And I have a feeling that that may be where you're coming from. Is that correct? Matthew 24:29 tells us that after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will turn to blood. And Acts 2:20 tells us the sun will be darkened and the moon turn to blood before the day of the Lord. So there's this, and in, in Isaiah 34 and 63 tell us the days, the year, just like you said, it's not 24 hours. Yeah. But you know, and in uh, the account of uh, of uh, Daniel, where the resurrection occurs 1,335 days after mid-trib, puts it exactly seven years and 40 days after the covenant with many. In, Dan in uh, Genesis, uh, Noah was told seven days before the flood, but the flood lasted a exactly a year, or a year and 10 days maybe, and the ark was raptured or lifted up 40 days into the flood, exact match with Daniel's uh, resurrection, the rapture and resurrection occur together, we know. So, mm. uh, right. uh, uh, well, Revelation 24, uh, 20 tells us that all those in the uh, resurrection are those that uh, died during the tribulation, includes those people, didn't take the mark of the beast, okay. were beheaded, so on and uh, so forth. Let me just say this, that... Um, the policy that you want to follow, and, and you, you threw out a lot of verses. We can't deal with all those, obviously. Um, but there's a couple of things. Number one, make sure that you follow the policy of the Bereans in letting Scripture interpret Scripture. And if you come to any viewpoint on any particular verse that's contradicted by another verse, then you need to clarify that. You need to clarify your viewpoint or interpretation on the former verse that you had formerly misinterpreted. In other words, you just need to make sure that whatever you believe, it's not violated or contradicted by any scripture verse. And this is one of the things that makes the study of the day of the Lord a little bit hard, because in some verses it seems to refer only to the near future. In other verse, verses it seems to refer to the distant future, whereas in the New Testament it's almost exclusively 
used of the, the seven-year tribulation period, extending all the way up to the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. And I emphasize context. Context is determinative in how the term is used. That's got to be true. Um, you can't just use a word in one context and assume that that word is going to be used in the same way in all the other references where you find that word. In fact, did you know that that's one of the biggest mistakes first-year Greek students make? <laughs> they, wrong, they wrongly conclude that because a word is used in one sense in one verse, that it must carry that same meaning in all the other verses, and it's just not true. And so context must govern how each of those verses that you mention is using the term Day of the Lord. Now, that's kind of a general principle, not just for you, but for the listening audience, because I don't want them to be confused by this you know, plethora of verses that came out. But just make sure that you test all things against Scripture. And I thank you, Stephen, so much for being a part of this conversation. 877-548-3675. That's our number. Let me take a break, and we're going to come right back. Dr. Ron Rhodes, again, a very prolific author. Let me just point out that one of the books that he's written, a more recent one, is called Jesus and the End Times, What He Said and What the Future Holds. I find this fascinating, by the way, Ron, because I think we've gotten as far as chapter one out of the book. <laughs> and that's fine by me. we got an awful lot to talk about. When we come back, more of your questions for Dr. Rhodes. Stick with us. Dr. Ron Rhodes is with us, president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry. It is a fabulous apologetics ministry. By the way, if you go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org, click on that red box. You know what I'm going to say, right? It says program details and audio. Click it on. Takes you over to the information page. There's a longer bio for Dr. Rhodes, a click, to one click away to his website. And there is the book that we're talking about today. It's the basis of our conversation, Jesus and the End Times, what he said and what the future holds. 877-548-3675, 877-548-3675. And let me, if I can, go to Sarah. Sarah, thanks for joining us. You've been so patient. I appreciate it. Your question, please. Okay, thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, mm -hmm. Janet, I enjoy your show so much. You're my hero. Oh, uh, thank you. We have the the pundit on our line, Dr. Rhodes. I, this, my question is related to the topic, but it's not directly. My concern is uh, what happens to our liquid assets uh, when Jesus returns? During the tribulation time, all this time I knew that I, I know that the um, 144,000 Jewish evangelists will be evangelizing in Israel. That was my understanding. But a few minutes ago, Dr. Rhodes said he, they will be evangelizing the whole world. You know, I mean, I, I, I was just ecstatic. Oh wow! So in that case, what happens to our banking system? Uh, will will that be taken away? Doesn't these people need the money? You know, so uh, w mm. what happens to our liquid assets? How can we help the evangelization? Yeah, yeah. wow. Ron? Well, that is a great question. And I've often taught people that it's my belief that during the tribulation period, we will have gone to an entirely cashless system. I say that in view of Revelation 13, where we are told that the world will be forced to take the mark of the beast. Only those who take the mark of the beast, which will probably be some kind of a barcode or a tattoo or something, only people who receive it will be able to buy or sell during the tribulation period. All others will not be able to buy or sell. And what that basically means is, 
is that if you're not a, a supporter of the Antichrist and you don't receive his mark, you probably will have a hard time getting food. Now, in order for that to work, we can't be on a cash basis anymore because people could give people cash under the table, as it were. But that's going to be prevented because we're headed towards a cashless system, which will make it easy for the Antichrist to enforce the mark of the beast. And by the way, we're headed there right now. Did you know that even today we use 70% less cash than we did 10 years ago? Mm. And it's estimated in the next five years, if you try to use cash in a store, you may end up being charged a surcharge for for trying to use cash. So, yeah, that's pretty amazing. And this is from uh, the head of a major finance corporation that said that. And so things are changing and setting the stage for the tribulation period. And I believe that there's going to be probably a one-world economy controlled by the Antichrist and that new Babylon will be a city uh, that will be the headquarters, sort of the financial capital of the world, as it were, headed up by the Antichrist. So if you're wondering what's going to be happening to your, your assets, well, at the rapture, kiss them goodbye forever. Um probably they're going to be subsumed in the one-world monetary currency of which the Antichrist will head up and control completely. I will say this. God himself is going to make provisions for his witnesses during the tribulation period. He's Mm. going to put a mark upon the 144,000 so that they'll be protected. And uh, I might mention also that in the Old Testament, God originally called the Jewish people to be a light unto the Gentiles. God didn't just call the Jews to just have the good news and sit there and do nothing with it. They're supposed to tell the whole world about it. But you see, they didn't recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. So they missed the boat, as it were. But these 144,000 Jews will pick up the, 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 the stick, basically, and run with it. They'll pick up the baton and run with it. They're going to fulfill that mandate, which God originally called the Jewish race to fulfill, being a light unto the Gentile nations. And you can count on one fact. There's going to be a mighty harvest. There's going to be a great multitude of believers, according to Revelation 7. And I say that because even in the darkest period of human history that is yet to come, God's light still shines. God still draws people to himself. Sarah, what a great question. Thank you so for being a part of the conversation. 877-548-3675. Marsha in Minnesota, thanks for being here. Your question, please. I can't believe this. I never have done this before, and I love listening to your show. But my question is, you know, I've grown up with people arguing about all the details of the end time. You know what? God's got it in control. God's got Mm -hmm. it in his hand, and he's going to work it out. You know, I I don't understand why people have to be so um, concerned about every minute detail of how this is going to happen. Well, that's a very good observation, and it's interesting Mm -hmm. to me that many of the debates are on secondary issues. Here's the thing to keep in mind. We agree on most of the big stuff. Most Christians are going to agree that there's going to be a second coming of Christ, that he's going to come in victory, and he's going to overthrow evil. Most Christians agree that there will be a judgment, not just of the wicked dead, but Christians will face the judgment seat of Christ. Most Christians agree that there will be a heaven, and that we'll live forever face-to-face with Christ in heaven. Many Christians believe there is a literal hell. I say many because not all. There are some Christians who deny that doctrine today. But, but I believe that a literal interpretation of Scripture demands that we believe in that doctrine. So we all basically agree on the big picture, 
but Christians love to argue the finer details. Wow. And I thank you so much, Marsha, for the question. Very, very much. Now, I'm going to say this, Ron. To our friends who are still on hold, I would make a strong recommendation that you write down your question if you're really looking for an answer. And then, should the Lord allow, and Ron and I get a chance to be on air together again, then you come with your questions. Because, Ron, I'm telling you, we barely scratched the surface of this book. You have such a canny, uncanny way of tapping into the questions that the church asks and wants to have answers to. You just do it over and over and over again. So in the meantime, before Ron's next visit, let me recommend the book to you. It's called Jesus and the End Times, What He Said and What the Future Holds. You can learn more by going to our website. So go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org, click on that red box that says Program Details and Audio, It'll take you over to the info page. There's the link to Ron's website. There's the book. But write down your questions. And then, Ron, when you come back again, I think we pick it up right where we left off. We are listener-supported radio. You just heard that conversation. There's precious people like you give. And I want to thank you, not just by saying thank you, but I want to show you my thanks in a tangible way. So go to that same website I've been giving you. Scroll down to the bottom. That's this month's truth tool. It's the book I'm going to give you as my way of saying thank you when you give a gift of any amount. Give on the website, in the market with JanetPartial.org, or go or call 877 Janet 58, 877 Janet 58. Thank you, friends. We'll see you next time.